I'm Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Hello, everyone. We're back. We've had a week off. You've had a week off, although maybe you've been catching up on all of those Halloween episodes. And we do hope you enjoyed them, because uh, we're still sweating a little bit after putting all those out. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did enjoy doing them. We did. A lot of those are really fun. Yeah, we're back. Did you miss us? We missed you a lot. Yeah. Um, we also haven't seen each other in over a week, so no, we I really know. missed each other. It's very strange, all things considered. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, what a way to come back from a break. We have episode 90. That's nine zero. That's 10 times nine. That's 10 less than 100. <laughs> like, how? You're just trying to prove that you're good at maths. I'm not good at math. That's the thing. <laughs> that's that's about the extent of my numerical abilities. But yeah, that's that's weird. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of us just bullshitting. Yeah, um, and and everyone's still with us. Or lots of people are still yeah. with us. So uh, thank you. Potentially more than you know before. A lot more yeah. than before, actually, based on our download numbers, which, like, what the fuck are you all doing here? We appreciate it, but, like... Hey, thank you. Stick around. Y'all look great today. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You had a good <laughs> Halloween costume. I don't know what it was, yeah. but I bet you it was good. Yeah. And uh, you know what that means? Because we got to 90... If it ends with a zero, we have a Scottish case for you all. Yeah. But before we get into that, we have a little bit of housekeeping to deal with. Taylor, eh. have you thrown out your 10 pieces of junk? Was it supposed to be 10? I thought it was 10 between us. No, it was 10 each for us and five for everyone else. Uh, okay. Well. Because we are hoarders. Yeah. 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 I think this is my idea, which is like really bad of me. So, I did. I wrote them down. I, I threw out at least five, but also it's been like two months since we recorded that episode. So, it has been a long time. Yeah. I, I know I have thrown out more <laughs> than this, but this is what I could remember this morning after you prompted me. So, uh, and it, we, not all these were thrown out, they were like donated or whatever. So, okay. um, Two. Removed from the household. Yes, removed from my domicile. Two dog Halloween costumes that don't fit my porky puppy anymore. <laughs> uh, a fabric laundry basket thing that we've stopped using in our kitchen. Uh, and three old backpacks were donated. Um, nice. So that's six. Mm -hmm. so like what counts as junk <laughs> something that doesn't normally go in the rubbish oh. you know something extra so I can't say like the, the four coke cans that I put in the recycling a couple minutes no. ago damn I will get back to you I know I know I have had four other things of junk like I think we donated some clothes and but 
I'll do four more by next okay. week. How does that sound? I'll, re- I'll make a note. Okay. I-, I did not keep a list. I did get rid of the box that my uh, baby Yoda came in. Oh, that's Which good. was just sitting in my room yeah. for nearly a year for no reason. So that's gone. <laughs> um, you texted me a list. Six pieces of junk you got rid of on Saturday, September 11th. So that was a few days after we recorded, yeah. so no wonder I don't remember. Yeah. Um, Yodito's box, mm-hmm. three empty shoe boxes, a rose's tin, and an old magazine. Uh-huh. And some clothes and things have gone to charity as well since, since then. then, so... So I guess that counts as ten for you. Yeah. So I just need to catch up. So, yeah, I'm about there. Well done. Um, yes, so we do implore you all to also get rid of at least five pieces of crap cluttering up your house and, uh, you know, feel free to let us know what they are. Maybe we'll put a post on social media and be like, (laughs) this is junk, junk corner. Uh, if you haven't listened to our bonus episode on the Collier Brothers, this will make no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, go back and listen. Yeah. Also, just <laughs> but, recommend. That one's good. Um, all, yeah. I think a, a lot of those Halloween ones are really fun for us because it's kind of like off the beaten path of what we normally do. So, yeah. So that's yeah. one kind of housekeeping. Literal housekeeping. Yeah. Uh, now, second piece of housekeeping is our monthly newsletter will be landing in inboxes later this week. So if you want to sign up, the link is in the show notes. Yep. Go wild. So something like, get our newsletter. It's very creative and original. Yeah. Uh, so for today's case, we're starting in Glasgow, which is always fun. Um, and yeah, we're doing something that like we don't really do on this show. Certainly don't do in real life. Just <laughs> definitely not. Uh, we're we're joining the ranks of high society. Definitely this is not. Where you can just add some music in, like oh, putting on the Ritz. Mm. Putting on the Ritz. Yeah. So today we are telling you guys the story of Archibald Hall, the Monster Butler. Isn't that just a Wonderful nickname. It is. I mean, this fits into like a well, well, a, a good transition from Halloween as well. Monster Butler. It is, yeah. That'd be a good costume. Ease ourselves out of it. Yeah. Archibald Thompson Hall was born on June 17th, 1924 in Govan, which is on the south side of the River Clyde in Glasgow. We don't know anything about his childhood. Do we ever? Uh, nah. <laughs> But we do know a bit about Govan. So Govan was once a town in its own right, but in 1912 it was incorporated into the city of Glasgow. Back in the day, there was a thriving shipbuilding industry on Clydeside in Glasgow, and part of that was in the Govan area. So the area, at least in the modern era, has always been sort of an industrial working class era, the last couple of hundred years. Mm-hmm. In the 1930s, housing estates were built to help relieve the overcrowded slums in the neighbouring district of the Gorbals. Sadly, 
The same thing happened that happens every time local authorities do this, and Glasgow City Council are very good at this. And instead of dealing with, you know, socio-economic problems which led to the deprivation and poverty that's been seen in the Gobbles and elsewhere in the city, they just moved people to a new area. Yeah. And just moved all the problems with them. Brilliant. And uh, Glasgow City Council have done this every time they've tried to improve like a quote-unquote rough area or rough district. Just, just move... Move the people out, gentrify it, then go, oh shit, we've now got problems in this area. Yeah, and also like one of the big problems with these quote unquote slum clearances here in Glasgow has been that like you took, they took people who lived in communities with amenities like transport and shopping and entertainment and put them in the fucking suburbs in these yeah. high-rise tower flats and there's nothing around so like not only that it was like the communities themselves were completely decimated because it wasn't like you were moved with your neighbors yeah yeah so you were moved and if you were lucky you might be near a neighbor yeah like it's just <laughs> not well handled no um and this combined with the decline of the shipbuilding industry Throughout the 20th century, led to the area developing a reputation for poverty and deprivation. And in more recent years, it has become known for high levels of drug addiction and unemployment. In 1994, the area was branded one of the worst places to live in Britain. And from my experience in my old job, or one of my old jobs in Glasgow, I know a lot of these problems do still persist in parts of Govan. Yeah. And... And I'm not mad about this. It is an area that the council cannot gentrify. They keep trying. Uh, like, at some point, you're going to have to deal with the problems. Yeah. Can't just paint, paint, paint over them with the new coat yeah. of paint. I mean, they moved film and TV studios there because the land and buildings were cheap. And even that couldn't gentrify the district. Everyone moved into Finiston across the river. Yeah. Yeah. Although we don't have sort of specific details about Archibald Hall's childhood. You know, we can speculate pretty generally about the kind of environment that he grew up in. Um, working class areas were hard hit by the financial recessions following the First World War and the Wall Street crash. So growing up in interwar govern was likely very difficult. <laughs> mm. um, Hall's life of crime began at the age of 15, he started small with petty theft and small-time scams. According to Murderpedia, one of his first known crimes was stealing money from Red Cross charity tins, uh, which would have been in either 1939 or 1940. Uh, but from what we can find, he was never charged with this theft, and he continued with petty theft and scams for the next two years. Uh, around this time, he allegedly entered into a relationship with an older uh, divorced neighbor. Now, it's not clear whether or not this neighbor was male or female because all of the sources about Archibald Hall just so love to talk about the fact that he was bisexual and that he used his sexuality, quote unquote, to his advantage when committing crimes. Ah, uh, yes. 
That really annoyed me. Do you know what I use my bisexuality to my advantage for? Banging hot people. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that is what you use your bisexuality to your advantage like, for. Like, what more could you ask for, really? Like, that's all mm. you need. Um, yeah. I I, I feel like that is a very common theme. It's always mm. like, oh, he was a gay murderer. It's like... Okay. Yeah, and the majority of serial killers have been straight white men. Exactly. So maybe we should be saying, well, he was a straight murderer. Because <laughs> that's yeah, clearly like, the defining characteristic. Um, but yeah. It's just the way it's like, it seems to be in like every sauce and like. Yeah. Plenty of other mm. killers or criminals have used sexuality to their advantage while committing crimes. Yeah. In every situation. So it's not really that yeah. big a deal. I mean, I think it's the time period probably that that became attached to his name because it was, you know. Oh, it was illegal. Yeah, exactly. So, and then now that's just what all the sources say. It's like, oh, this yeah, this bisexual guy, he was a bad mm. guy. Um, but anyway. Uh, this much older neighbor, whoever they may have been, initiated a teenage hall into all things sexual and introduced him to the high life, giving him a taste for the finer things. Again, this is all pretty vague. Uh, we don't know who the neighbor was or what they did to introduce him to high society, but whatever that may have been, Hall had developed a taste for sort of high class, highbrow, finer things, and he stepped up his stealing. I'm also interested in how, so it's never overtly said, but it's always implied that he was from, like, obviously grew up in government. It's always kind of implied, you know, given a taste of the finer things in life. So it's kind yeah, of it's implied that he grew class. up with very little. Yeah. So I mean, I would be interested to know who this neighbor actually was. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's this fancy lady or yeah. guy living in Govan? Mm. Uh, Hall quickly progressed to housebreaking, stealing whatever valuables he could, especially jewellery. In 1941, at the age of 17, he used the proceeds from his thefts to leave Glasgow and he headed for London, quickly establishing himself in the city's gay scene. But he was soon arrested when he attempted to sell some of the stolen jewellery. And this was when he received his first prison sentence. Uh, this is when things start to get a bit vague again. Because we don't know how long a sentence Hall received at this point. We know it wasn't a particularly lengthy one. Um, it was during his first prison stretch that Hall decided he was going to change his life. Not in the reformed character kind of way. But instead he was going to con his way into high society. Whilst in prison he read books including Burke's Peerage which details ancestry and genealogy of the upper classes, peers, knights, barons, etc. And who's who? Not the uh, off-brand board game. <laughs> uh, it is an annual publication of rich, famous and influential people. Uh. <laughs> but it's the off-brand version of Guess, Guess who? who? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Because, like, so my dad was, like, a 
major like business guy. Like he was super into like all the business stuff and networking. So when I was growing up, we always had the like annual editions of who's who in business, who's who in <laughs> real estate, who's who in academia or whatever on our bookshelves. <laughs> and when I was like a kid, I would just flip through them for fun sometimes. So <laughs> it's really funny seeing that come up here because it's like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> now it's just called the internet. Yeah. Or Forbes. Yeah. He also took elocution lessons whilst in prison. What prison is this? I have no idea, but it is the 40s. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so maybe it was like about reforming character and yeah. passing for, you know, beating the working classness out of you. Well, it's just like, oh, okay, well, so you're in prison, but we're going to teach you how to set a table. Just don't use that salad knife for, for evil. <laughs> so these lessons helped soften his Glaswegian accent and so he could pass himself off as someone who could at least work for the upper classes. Couldn't quite pass himself off as the upper classes, but could work for them. Fair. Uh, upon his release from prison, he needed a new name to go with his new persona. So he chose Roy Fontaine. Reportedly inspired by the actress Joan Fontaine. There you go. Between the 1940s and mid-1970s, Hall, or Fontaine, continued as a con man and thief, but also gained legitimate employment as a butler, punctuated with further prison sentences for the theft of jewels and other valuables. Uh, again, this is pretty vague, and we're not sure about the details of these incidents. Uh, in the 1960s, he was serving a 10-year prison sentence for various thefts, but escaped in 1964 from Blundeston Prison uh, and was on the run for two years before being recaptured in 1966. According to Glasgow Live, he had been stealing from his wealthy employers when he was working as a butler and that he had a number of disguises he used to trick others. One of his disguises was to wear a, quote, Arab headdress and used the name Mutlak Medina. He convinced his victims that he was a sheik, and after luring them to his hotel room, he managed to escape with 300,000 pounds worth of jewels. That's a lot of jewels. Yeah, so it says 300,000 pounds worth, but I don't know if that was in today's money or old money back in the day, because it'd be in the millions. Yeah, I was going to say, if it was old money, that's that's high-level jewel thievery. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is the only like specific story we've been able to find about his crimes during this 30-year period, which is like, that's a long time. <laughs> mm. During this period, he was also married and divorced, but much like the rest of this time in Hall's life, the details of that have been lost and we know nothing about said marriage or divorce. However, in 1975, and he was now 51 years old, Hall was released from prison and returned to Scotland where he took up a new butler job at Kirklington House in Dumfrieshire in southwest Scotland. Originally, his aim had been the same as at his previous places of employment, uh, an upper-class smash-and-grab, if you will. 
but it turned out that Hall actually quite liked his job at Kirklyton House, working for a dowager named Lady Margaret Hudson. And he liked her too. So he ended up staying there for two years before a series of events led to him hitting the road once again. In 1977, two years into his employment at Kirkleaton House, an old acquaintance of Hall's from one of his stretches in prison, named David Wright, also got a job at Kirkleaton House as the estate's gamekeeper. Shortly after Wright began uh, the gamekeeper's job, Hall found that he was attempting to steal some of Lady Hudson's jewellery, which led to a fight between the two men. Mm. Wright threatened uh, Hall that if he reported him for stealing the jewellery and told Lady Hudson about his criminal past, he would tell Lady Hudson about Hall's own criminal past. So it was kind of mutually assured destruction. That's quite a good detente of like, mm. you fuck me over, I fuck you over, buddy. But Hall wasn't really happy with this sort of hold that Wright had over him. He invited Wright on a rabbit hunt on the estate uh, under the guise of the two coming to an agreement about the situation whilst killing the wildlife. Sure, sure. Which is what happens on estates, sadly. But rather than reach an amicable solution, Hall shot and killed Wright before burying his body near a small stream on the grounds. So, different kind of um, uh, hunting happening. Yeah. A little bit there. Mm. So I know he's worked there too, yes, but you have to be very confident in how well you know the estate to bury someone on the estate where you work. Yeah. It's bold. Uh, some sources uh, describe Wright and Hall as having been lovers when they were in prison, <laughs> but as we said before, Hall's sexuality is being used to make this case sort of even more scandalous or like another dimension to his crimes. So they may have been, but they may not have been. And neither are alive today to verify. Yeah. Uh, Hall continued to work for Lady Hudson for a few months, but in November 1977, Hall left Scotland for London once again because Lady Hudson discovered his criminal past. So the problem was that Hall wasn't that keen on putting the past behind him and going back to his normal life of just robbing the rich. Hall, as one of the contributors to his Murderpedia page described it, had developed a taste for blood. Which is, like, so cliched that I love it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he returned to London, Hall quickly found a job as a butler for former MP, 82-year-old Walter Scott Elliot, and his wife, Dorothy, who was age 60. The couple were regarded as very wealthy, with Walter described as having been from an aristocratic background, and they were keen antique collectors. So once again, Hall planned to work for them for a while before robbing them and moving on just like he'd always done before. Except, this time would be slightly different in that Hall planned to steal enough money, antiques, and other valuables that he could finally retire and not have to keep finding rich people to work for and then steal from. I know, such a charm. I know, like, you do that for 30 plus years and it really wears on you. So yeah. you gotta you gotta find a more sustainable retirement plan than that. That's for sure. Mm. 
Uh, this time, he had two accomplices, a man named Michael Kiddo, who, that's K-I-T-T-O, I am not capable of saying double consonants like that correctly. Mm. So Michael Kiddo was described as a small-time crook and a petty thief. And the other accomplice was a woman named Mary Coggle, who was a local sex worker with whom Hall had some kind of on-again, off-again relationship. Late one night in early December, Hall and Kiddo were discussing plans to rob Hall's wealthy employers as Hall showed his friend around the house, and Dorothy Scott Elliott saw them. Uh, some sources say she overheard them planning their heist, while other sources say that Hall was showing Kiddo the master bedroom, expecting Walter and Dorothy to be asleep, but Dorothy was awake and wanted to know why Hall was creeping around late at night with a stranger, which is fair. Yeah. Uh, Kiddo grabbed a nearby pillow and suffocated her before placing her back in the bed next to her husband. Just fucking cold. Yeah. Walter awoke as Hall placed Dorothy's body back in the bed, but Hall managed to convince him that she had just had a nightmare and he was helping her back to bed. I mean, he's an 82-year-old man. Yeah, so that's, that's true. Could possibly, you know, possibly quite easy to convince. We have no idea, like, what his mental faculties yeah, were like. Yeah, that's true. And the next morning, Walter didn't seem to notice that his wife was dead <clears throat> in their bed and went about his normal day. That's that's a bit wild. Hmm. So Hall, Kitto, and Coggle decided that Mary Coggle would impersonate Dorothy, clear out the couple's bank accounts, then they would sedate Walter until they figured out what to do with him and with Dorothy's body. And they decided they would bury Dorothy somewhere in rural Scotland. And they're in London, so right? Hall, yeah. And it's the... Or somewhere around in that kind of area, somewhere down south. And it's the 70s. Yes. So... <laughs> a lot less cars on the road than now, though. Yeah, that's true. Just like still. And I don't know if there was a speed limit on the M1 at that point. Just seems like a long way to go. Yeah. It's a very, like, Peter Tobin weird travel choice mm. here. Yeah. So Hall informed Walter that his wife had gone to Scotland and was waiting for him to join her. So this, to me, suggests that he's maybe not... Not totally with it. ...as compassmentous as he once was. Yeah. It sounds like it. If the guy can get up and not notice that his dear wife is lying dead next to him, then... And then be told, oh, she's, she's, she's in Scotland, you've got to go, we've got to go and meet her. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. Yeah. So the trio drugged him with sleeping pills, then they seated him in the car, <laughs> hid Dorothy's body in the boot of the car, and drove to Scotland. Oh, sure. This is a very macabre, like, weekend at Bernie's situation, isn't it? It's just very strange. It's very odd. It's like the thought process. This is like this, guys. This is a great idea. <laughs> so I know it's I know it's the seventies and it's a different time and everything, but you're in London and you're going to drive to. So when when I say rural Scotland, what we mean is like the Grampians and the high, um, not the Grampians, the Cairngorms yeah, and yeah. the Highlands. 
as we'll soon, soon see. Um, so yeah, it's it's there's not as much police presence. So we're not, you know, you weren't tracked like yeah, every move wasn't tracked and everything, like it is now. But would you really want to drive all the way to Scotland with a dead body in the car? No, and. Also, just like there are plenty of other places in England that are not, you know, the property on which you committed your murder, that you could hide a body. Yeah. So. I mean, I didn't want to say that outright. Just like. As though I'd been thinking about it. It just seems Wait. like, like I yeah. understand he has an emotional connection to Scotland because like he's Scottish and everything. But like, Scotland doesn't want this kind of shenanigans. Okay. So, stop it, y'all. If you're gonna bury your dead, bury him in the country that you killed him in. And it's just manners, yeah. isn't it? It's better for the environment. Kind of. I mean, you're still burying it, but, you know. I'm really looking forward to how this ends. It's not. <laughs> that's it. I just stop right there. <laughs> just like, it's silly. Yeah. It's silly. I don't get it. It's mm. silly. I don't either. That's so much rural area in England yeah, like yeah. and and not just that just the smell as well yeah like at some point I mean like I know that like 1970s cars tended to be like a little bit bigger or at least the boot was sort of like further away from you than they are now in most cars but well, like well I don't know because like minis oh, that's and true old um <laughs> Fords and Morrises and things like that, they're very small. Please tell me they did this in a mini. <laughs> um, no, it was a Ford Anglican. Okay. Which still it's isn't not a big, a big car. car. Yeah, it's just, it's just... Lots of choices were made, and I think that nobody can argue they were the correct choices. So, once in Scotland... Uh, they buried Dorothy's body by the side of the road near Braco, which is a small village between Stirling and Creef in Perthshire. And then they continued north towards Inverness, where they murdered Walter with a shovel that they'd obviously brought along. And then buried his body near the village of Tomic, which is about 30 miles southwest of Inverness. Uh, the group returned to London and attempted to lie low for a while but uh much like hall when he was a teenager uh, mary coggle had ta quickly taken a liking to the nice things in life mm. and was beginning to draw attention to herself flashing her newfound cash and wearing dorothy's clothes and jewelry so the logical solution for hall and kitto was to murder her as well obviously like, of course, why didn't anyone else think yeah, of that? Duh. Also, just like, so maybe the trunk of their car wasn't big enough for two bodies, but why wouldn't they just murder Walter as well? I don't know. Just, yeah. So many questions. I wonder if they kind of didn't really have a plan, or like, we'll just, we'll go north and we'll figure it yeah. out. We'll just put some distance between us and, yeah. Their, like, us and than the house just but. yeah so they don't sound like super organized in general that's for sure no uh but that's a good thing because when serial killers are unorganized that's how they get that caught. is true that is true uh so yeah they're like we gotta we gotta kill mary 
But before killing her, they did, ever so kindly and politely, give Mary the option to stop wearing the fur coat and jewelry that was drawing attention to them. (laughs) But she refused. So they killed her with a fire poker, and once again, headed to Scotland to dispose of her body. Obviously. It's a choice. It is is that. Uh, They drove to Middleby, which is described as a hamlet, not even a village, in southwest Scotland, uh, about 15 miles north of the Scottish-English border, and left Mary's body in a stream. Now they're just getting sloppy. Mm. Like, at least bury her. Yeah. But... 70s, what was forensics like at that point? But also just like, if she's just in a body of water, I feel like she's much more likely to be found. Especially in a stream. Oh, well. You'll see how that pans Spoiler out. alert. Um, so yeah, they left her body in a stream for whatever reason. They then headed back into England with a plan to stay at Hall's holiday home in Cumbria, which is which is the northwestern border county and it's where the lake district is this man has a holiday home this butler has a holiday home yeah i sort of did a double take when i read that i was like fancy okay he's a butler he's constantly thieving but he has a holiday home sure obviously but I don't know, like, what kind of holiday home it could have been. Just like a little cabin, like a little hut kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it could have been like a big shed. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I mean, he owns, he's on the property ladder. Yeah. So you really can't ask for much more than that these days, so. No. Um. Yeah. However, when they got there, they found Donald, Hall's half-brother, who had recently been released from prison. So Donald, like his brother, had a history of theft and petty crime, uh, but was also a pedophile. So I couldn't find out if he was a convicted pedophile, and that's, like, what he'd been in prison for, or if it was for, like, theft or, you know, small-time scams or something. But either way, he was a known child sex offender. Either way, not a good situation. Paul reportedly despised his brother because he was a pedophile. Fair enough. Uh, So he and Kiddo decided to kill Donald. Yeah, does seem like a bit of a taste for blood situation here. Yeah, and this is all taking place in a very short space of time. Yeah, they're certainly like escalating and sounds like decompensating Mm. a little bit here. Um. They convinced Donald that their next job was going to involve tying someone up and tricked him into letting them practice on him. Uh, After tying him up, they gassed him with chloroform and then drowned him in the bathtub. Uh, But it was their attempt to dispose of Donald's body that finally led to their downfall. So the pair stowed Donald's body in the boot of the car and headed north. Back to Scotland. Or at least they're quite close this time. Yeah, that's true. 
but Hall was concerned about the number plate of their car. The plate contained three nines, which Hall considered to be unlucky, so he had Kitto change the plates for fakes. Oh, sure. In the UK, you pay road tax, which these days is based on vehicle emissions, and back in the day, this only changed in 2014, but you used to pay your road tax either six-monthly or annually, and you were given a paper disc to display um, at the bottom of the passenger side of the windscreen. So the the left-hand side is you sat in the car, and the tax disc showed the date it expired, and the number plate for the car it was for. Yeah. So if you sold your car halfway through, you had to send your disc, tax disc back to get your refund. You couldn't just move the disc into a new car. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, now the whole system is digital, and that's why they eventually did away with discs, because, like, number plate, um, AMPR, which is automatic number plate recognition, mm-hmm. is now... Uh, sophisticated enough and quick enough that they can use that to find out if a car's taxed rather than you know just beat cops walking around looking at them yeah yeah Mm. you do still see some cars with little discs in the pockets like older cars on the road so some people have just never taken them out fair enough (laughs) Mm. but in early 1978 it was very much paper-based and the tax disc in hall and keto's car now showed a different number plate to the plates on the car. Oh and boy. we know that police will arrest, will sometimes arrest people on like minor charges such as traffic violations just to have them off the streets and in custody until they can get enough information and evidence to arrest them for like the bigger crime they suspect them of. Yeah. I mean, Al Capone, tax evasion. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what happened here. So the weather was bad, you know, as it can be in Scotland in January. I'm sure Taylor will report back to us in a couple of months. Yeah. Oh. So Hall and Keto only made it as far as North Berwick, which is near Edinburgh. So they're still on like a cross-country road trip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they got to North Berwick before they were forced to stop for the night and stay in a hotel in the town. Now, the hotelier was suspicious of the way Hall and Kiddo were acting and worried about whether or not they would pay before checking out the next morning. Uh, So he called the police, gave them the car's number plate, and asked them to check the men out. But obviously, the number plate didn't match the car. So two policemen were dispatched to the hotel, which was, would you believe it, a handy 200 yards away from the police station. <laughs> they didn't they didn't think this through. I'm just, they didn't, I, I don't know, at this point is it arrogance as well? Yeah. So like they just think of a fuck. Or just like blind panic. Either or. Both, probably. Uh, so Hall and Kiddo were taken to the police station for questioning, and the police towed the car to the station. Which is when they found Donald's body in the boot. That is quite damning. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you're driving with a uh, fake plate, so, you know, it's going to be a fine and a little bit of jail time for that. Yeah. Oh, what's this? Oh, 
there's a body in the boot. Oh, it's your murdered brother. Cool. You're mm. going to be here for a bit longer, guys. A little more paperwork there. Mm. Um, <laughs> Hall managed to escape through the window after asking to use the bathroom, but was soon recaptured in a nearby town. Uh, during their investigation... Oh, there is a, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is... He has got post-walk zoomies happening. <laughs> oh. Oh, Christ. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, during their investigation, police matched the fake number plate to a report in Newcastle under Lyme, which is in the West Midlands, not near Newcastle upon Tyne, which is, you know, the, the famous Newcastle. I might be biased being from the northeast and like being an hour away from Newcastle, but I'm pretty sure if you say New, like anywhere in the UK, if you say Newcastle, Newcastle. unless you're just outside of Newcastle under Lyme, everyone thinks you mean Newcastle upon Tyne in the northeast. Yeah, I had never heard of this Newcastle under Lyme situation, so. An antiques dealer had become suspicious of two men who had offered silver and china pieces at well below their real value. And believing that the pieces may be stolen, the dealer contacted the police and gave them the number plate of the men's car. The number plate belonged to Walter and Dorothy Scott Elliott's car, and Hall and Kiddo had been using that since killing the couple, so police made the connection between the missing aristocrats and the two men. Uh, the police also linked the two men to Mary Coggle's death. Her body had been found on Christmas Day, 1977, so just a few days, or a couple of weeks, or within a week or so after she was murdered. Yeah. And it's because she had also been registered as the Scott Elliott's housekeeper uh, at one time. Oh. Uh, and whilst in custody, Hall also confessed to the murder of David Wright and eventually showed the police where his and Walter and Dorothy's bodies were. Now, because some of the murders were committed in England and some in Scotland, and then there was a lot of cross-border travel, the two men were tried both in Scotland and in England. So, Quito was given three life sentences with a recommendation that he serve 15 years by the English court but the Scottish court did not give a minimum recommendation. According to Wikipedia, because I couldn't find another source to corroborate this, Kitto was actually lucky that he and Hall were caught when they were, because police found evidence that Hall was planning on killing him as well. Oops. <laughs> Which I suppose when he's already killed, like, the other accomplice, they've killed Mary Coggle. Yeah, like... He's killed his own brother. We all know who's next here. Yeah. Uh, Hall was found guilty of four murders, and in Scotland was given a recommendation of at least 15 years, but in England the court recommended that he never be released. And successive home secretaries placed Hall on the dangerous prisoners list who should serve a whole-of-life tariff. And this was because back in the day, the home secretary had the power to place someone who was given life in prison on a whole-of-life tariff, meaning that life meant life, which it doesn't usually mean in this country. Yeah. You are usually paroled at some point or given the chance for parole at some point yeah yeah we've talked about this a couple times with some of the like more high profile serial killers that we've covered yeah i was gonna say it. so the patreon one we did in october was harold shipman so yes. he was uh, sentenced to life in 
the Home Secretary at the time, I believe, was David Blunkett. He, if I remember correctly, he placed him on whole of life tariff. But it was actually during that period that that power was taken away from the Home Secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you may be thinking, hold on a minute there, guys. There were five victims. Why was Hall only found guilty of four and Kiddo only found guilty of three? Well, Dorothy's case was ordered to lie on file. This means that there is sufficient evidence to take the case to trial and should be enough to convict, but the judge decides that it uh, that it's not in the public interest for a trial to take place, and so nobody has ever actually been convicted of Dorothy's death. Uh, cases can lie on file for a number of reasons. Most common is that the defendant has acknowledged, admitted to, or been convicted of other charges, either similar or more serious, and therefore uh, it's not in the interest of the public to proceed with another trial at the taxpayer's expense. These kinds of charges can be reinstated at a later date, but only with the permission of the trial judge or the court of appeal. This I find quite just a very strange thing. I mean, I've heard like heard of, especially in like big, like big, big serial killer cases where they only charge charge them with like a sample. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's only five victims here, so that to me seems strange. Uh, I also just don't know why they wouldn't include it in one of the Mm. trials like in the english trials because that's where she was murdered so like why not just add it on that just seems strange but also it's not unheard of for them to hold back in like serial serial murder trials to hold back a few victims just in case in case appeals go through yeah or retrials are granted, and then it's like, right, we're going to slap you with all of them. Yeah. Or we've got something held back in case, and then suddenly there'll be a, you know, it'll be in the public interest. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Also, like, if for some reason they were acquitted of all the other murders, they could say, oh, actually, yeah, they killed this this poor woman too. Yeah. Um. So. Michael Kiddo was released in November 1992 after serving 14 years, and we do not know what happened to him afterward. Um, If he is still alive, he would be in his early 80s now. Hall spent the rest of his life in prison. He made numerous attempts to take his own life, and in 1995, he wrote a letter to uh, the Sunday newspaper, The Observer, in which he re- requested that he be allowed to die. Now, obviously, that request was denied by the prison service. He also wrote an autobiography titled A Perfect Gentleman, which is great. <laughs> nope. Uh, it's a choice. It's, it's a common theme with this guy. Uh, which was published in 1999. At the time of publication, he reportedly said that, quote, death will be my release. Yeah, when you spent years trying to take your own life and request that the prison service let you die, then saying that is not going to change their minds. No, it's not really persuasive, is it? 
No one's going to turn a blind eye on the night shift. Yeah. Archibald Hall died in 2002 of a stroke at Kingston Prison in Portsmouth on the south coast of England. He was 78, and at the time, he was the oldest prisoner in Britain to be serving a whole-of-life tariff. And that is the story of Archibald Hall, also known as Roy Fontaine, the monster butler. Wow. Oh, yeah. Thoughts? Like, it's interesting because he he's a serial killer. I had mm. never heard of him before I went looking for Scottish killers. I actually came across him when we were trying to find ancient Scottish serial killers. Oh, yeah. Um, and obviously, 70s, not so ancient. Um, <laughs> but, mm. yeah, I... It is, it's weird to me that he's not talked about more because... That was such a, this is going to sound really bad, but like in the grand scheme of time frames for the heyday of Scottish serial killers, the 60s and the 70s was it. So, I mean, when you think of like, for lack of a better term, like popular serial killers, yeah, you know, like, um, well, let's just go with the obvious Ted Bundy. Yeah. And they're like, they're all from the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if it's just, there was such a proliferation plurifer of Scottish serial killers. It was like, oh, this guy doesn't count. He's not that interesting. But, mm -hmm. like, I mean, you've got Angus Sinclair, Bible John, Peter Tobin has this sort of glass or Scottish. He actually, this is what I was going to tell you afterwards, he, a few weeks ago, admitted he said, I'm not I'm not Bible John, but I've killed more. But he won't give any details. Holy fuck. Yeah. And I'm like, that is that is he's just getting his last laugh in, isn't he? Yeah. Because he's on his well into his must be into his eighties like now. now. Yeah. And I'm like You're just getting the last laugh in, aren't yeah, you? He's just bored. Um, um You've also like, yeah, I killed more people, but I'm not gonna give their families closure because Yeah. Yeah. We've also got like Peter Manuel, like oh yeah. So there's all of these. So it's just interesting to me that this guy doesn't come up more, and I don't know if it's because he didn't like he doesn't have as high body counts or. I wonder if so. The late seventies was the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh uh, yeah, and that I too. think it's he could have just got lost in that because that was ever, yeah such it's a everything. high profile case which i think was seven was like, mid 70s i think it was 79 when he was caught yeah. it is interesting to me that we do know like we do know about his crimes now he is obviously uh, a killer that so like glasgow live has covered him like uh, there's a, a handful of sources out there mm. but there is still so much unknown about a yeah. lot of his life which just makes me wonder what else happened yeah so i had a few thoughts when i was researching this because he for 30 years was in and out of prison mm -hmm. but he was still always getting work as like a butler yeah so that is in the up that's in the upper classes in the upper echelons you know you're you working class people we don't like 
We don't have a butler. Oh. I have a little tie that my cat wears. Yeah, yeah. On a collar that he wears at Christmas. That's that's for his Christmas dinner. Enough. That's the nearest I have to having a butler. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, and rich people talk. You know, oh God, yeah, very gossipy. Oh well, because you know, good help is so hard to find. Like, so part of me is like, well, why did word not get around that he was stealing everything? Yeah. Well, we thought then, but then I had another thought. So we know that he, at some point, was you know putting on this con that he was an Arab sheikh, yes, and things like that. So I wonder if he was using like rather than just stealing, part of it was more of a confidence trickster, yeah, like a con man. And people will admit to someone breaking into their house and stealing stuff. We're a lot less likely to admit to having been conned because we all like to think we're too smart. Totally. And it happens in like every walk of life, not just like having things stolen from us or like, you know, bad investments or in, like even up to like bad relationships and bad friendships. Mm-hmm. We all think that we're too smart yeah. to fall for it. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. Because that's what so, these people do. Like, <laughs> mm. So I wonder if it's almost like an embarrassment kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, you don't. They don't want to talk about it because. You don't want that tarnishing your reputation yeah. with your fancy neighbors and everything. It is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it does sound like there's probably many more layers to his crimes than like we know yeah. about now with the disguises, with the like moving back and forth. Like he clearly had some sort of like criminal sophistication, but it seems yeah. like those details have just gotten lost over time. Mm. so yeah yeah and and the detail definitely seems to be focused on oh he came from this really like rough working class area deprived area and he got a taste for the finer things and he was bisexual yeah yeah yeah. you know it's the the details have been lost in favor of like these these more scandalous versions. Yeah, like so we don't know <laughs> anything about a bunch of his crimes, the burglaries, whatever. But mm-hmm. like three of the articles that I found about him mentioned that oh he probably had a sexual relationship with Lord Mountbatten. And yeah. it's like <laughs> okay, yeah. One of the articles I found had like a long list of like all these aristocrats that he had some kind of of sexual relationship with. And I'm like, yeah, so great. Like, you expect me to believe that in all of human history, there wasn't anyone in the upper classes who uh, wasn't straight? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. I I wonder if it's almost like a saving face kind of thing as to why it. Yeah, wasn't talked about in those circles, and how he kept, you know, finding his way in. No, totally. Um, and also, it seems like probably like he probably had multiple personas, not just Archibald Hall, yeah. not just Roy Fontaine, but mm-hmm. yeah, like it is interesting because the sort of details of these murders make him seem really disorganized and not that clever when it comes to these things Mm. but he did manage to kind of worm his way into high society and steal from a whole bunch of people for decades so 
And also, just that. So he's, he went by Roy Fontaine. This is l- way before the days of like proper background checks. Yeah. If you rocked up and said, right, my name's Roy Fontaine, I live at this address, these are my references, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's not going to be cross-referenced with a criminal record for actual. No, definitely not. So, yeah, it would depend on what name he was using, if he legally changed his name. Yeah. Things like that, so. Yeah. Oh, there was meant to be a film adaptation. I saw that. I was thinking as I was reading through his Wikipedia page, like, this would be a really good movie. So, in 2005, uh, actor Malcolm McDowell and Hollywood screenwriter Peter Bellwood announced that they were seeking a director and funding for a film based on Archibald Hall's life. Uh, This film has never come to fruition. (laughs) In 2011, Malcolm McDowell stated the film was currently being made and would be named Monster Butler. Sure. Um, But the film was then cancelled due to lack of funding. But some work had already taken place, some filming and production. So there was crew members who were left unpaid. Um, That's all according to Wikipedia, so... Yeah. yeah. I do, like, I do think this would be a... A good film. I could see it yeah. being one of those, like, you know, period dramas that end up, mm-hmm. you know, in all the award shows kind of thing that some big name actors <laughs> like, I'm going to play the killer butler, you guys. What, like, um, Benedict Cumberbatch or yeah, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Or like, a, maybe not Leonardo DiCaprio, but like, those. Those those big name guys, you know, those guys. Mm. I think it is one of those that, you know, like based on a true story, it would work. But if you wrote it as fiction, would it be well received? It's very chaotic. It is very. I think you'd have to do some finessing a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Some poetic license here. Mm. Well, it's fine. You know why? Because we already know. We are going to create a slate of films about Scottish crimes. We already have one. It's damn near in pre-production. Patreon just has to kick in with the funding. We've already got pretty much the whole thing plotted out. Blue Men of the Minch. And so we can just add Monster Butler to the list. That'll be production number two. So... It's fine that they didn't make one. It'll be our game. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, yeah, we just need some money. So, if you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's a good one. And I like that this is like... So... We're gonna do a big Scottish case for the 100th episode. Just tell them why don't you? What? Everyone's gonna figure it out. Well, just no. It's big. And obviously, like, our first four Scottish cases were the Square Mile cases, because it's our name and all that stuff, and they're quite famous as well in the sort of, like, Scottish crime history kind of thing. I like this, Mm -hmm. I like that this guy is kind of, like, 
straddles those two worlds and like time periods of like because he was born in the 30s or grew up in the 30s and like yeah um so it's a it's a sort of like middle scottish murder history to to cover it's it's yeah. interesting um but yeah i i a refreshingly sort of more unknown case i also wonder just like this now i wonder if it's less well known because it crosses the border a lot I, yeah that was the other thing i was thinking it's like the details could easily get lost because they're driving back and forth from fucking london to mm. the highlands all the time so yeah it's not like cross it's not like in the border counties no it's like opposite ends of the landmass so yeah but yeah so we hope you liked this scottish serial killer um and let us know if you've heard of the case before if you have any other details that we couldn't manage to find let us know um and yeah uh if you like the show as always be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app especially apple podcasts because it helps us get in front of more people and uh you should also subscribe so you never miss a new episode like like after we've been on a week break and and come back with with something new like this like you don't want to miss it right yeah um and if you would like to get some cool square mile merch we do have a selection of products and there may or may not be a sale coming up this month for sort of black friday cyber monday small business saturday type situation so uh you should be on the lookout for that and uh you can find that merch at squaremileofmurder.store or at the links uh in our show notes or on our website and if you'd like to help us cover the costs of making the podcast and help us invest in the future of the show and start our own film production company yeah you can join our patreon page Tiers start at just £1 a month. Every patron gets regular episodes one day early, a shout-out on the show, priority case requests, and a lifetime discount on merch. That's just for £1 a month. As the tiers go up, you get even more, including bonus episodes and exclusive stationary merch that you can't buy anywhere. So check all that out at patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder. Links are in all the usual places. Uh, so we will be back next week massive double two-part episode coming the next couple of yes. weeks um so we'll see you next yeah. week thank you for thank listening thank you guys see you then bye, bye.